Welcome to Coffee Time Conversations on art, faith, life, and of course, coffee. We are your hosts, Robert and Rebecca Prince. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode with Bara Cornell. Yes, we've been um, teasing you about this episode for a while now. We have and been talking t- about your coaching. Yeah, and the time has finally come for you to hear it. So just a refresher in case you haven't heard or don't remember, Laura Cornell is Rebecca's artisan legacy business coach that she went through a 10-week program with. And I have the pleasure of talking to Laura today and interviewing her. Yeah, you get to hear more about who she is as an artist and as a coach. And it's a really good conversation. So let's get started. Hi, Robert. Hello, Laura. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on Coffee Time Conversations. Of course. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Very and good. to get to talk to you. Yes, I know. <laughs> Rebecca and I have talked about you a lot and about y'all's conversations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm excited to get to talk to you as well. So. Awesome. Well, um, you know, I came to know of you, of course, because of your coaching with Rebecca. And uh, she completed the 10-week coaching program recently. Um, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about, but I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about your story and and kind of who you are. Yeah, it's hard to know where to start when people <laughs> ask me that. I know um, it's such a broad question, right? It, it is, and it's um, a very uh, bold journey, I guess. You know, so I started yeah. um, my art journey. I mean, I've always been a creative kid, but when I started taking my art more seriously, it was around 2013, I think, when I started diving into art. Um, and I had a really interesting journey with my art and that it took off really fast, really quickly. So I had to learn how to sell art, how to make tags for it, how to name it, all of those things, um, really, really fast. And then I am also the kind of person that says yes to almost every opportunity. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I did all of the things, but I had a background, you know, I had a background in retail and in merchandising um, and in just in business management in general. So I had general ideas on a lot of the things. Um, But a couple years in, I was also working a full-time job, had three small kids. Um, It, I, I discovered that what I had built, which I talk about in my book is much more of like a patchwork quilt. Like it wasn't, a system. It wasn't sustainable. I was doing all of the things all of the time um, and not bringing in enough money. Um, So I did what anybody would do. And I said, well, I'm just going to open a venue (laughs) (laughs) where we can do art and have conversations around art all the time. And I'll just figure that out, Um, which (laughs) in hindsight (laughs) was, I mean, it was a great decision, but at the time it was super, super hard because it was a whole yeah. new level of business learning Right. that I was maybe oblivious to at the time or unaware of. Um, so, but what it did is it taught me that I really don't know a lot about business, at least at the time. And what I had built as an art business obviously wasn't working. Um, at the time, I mean, it was working as it should, but it wasn't bringing in enough money. So I kind of made my own PhD and went back to school in my own way. Um, started learning from a lot of 
high-end coaches and business minds and took a lot of classes, lots of certifications to try to figure out the business piece, right? Because yeah. as an artist, you're a business, but you're a little bit of an anomaly. Like you aren't quite a personal brand, but you're also not just a product-based brand. You're kind of straddled both worlds. So um, yeah. I kind of went down a rabbit hole in education in both areas because I had to learn maybe double what a regular person studying business would need because I had to study also the personal branding and, you know, what does it look like to be an influencer? What does it look like to um, be an artist in a business? Plus, what are actual business strategies that tech companies know that can be applied? Um, yeah. Which turned around my venue until COVID. <laughs> and then COVID yeah. came. And that was a whole different thing. But right. um what resulted was the book and then the coaching program. Yeah. yeah very yeah. cool. Well, I know I remember when Rebecca first told me, but actually we were on the plane going to vacation uh, back in June or July, I believe was when I first uh, heard about you and she just discovered you. I think she had discovered you through Gene Oliver, mm -hmm. um, sent out an email and um, had listed your book in there. And so Rebecca checked it out, of course, and that led to a consultation, which yeah, led to a coaching relationship. So yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just a, a really great, um, a really great journey for her and for, and even for us, because it's in, inspired so many dis discussions and still continues to inspire so many discussions. But even people like Rebecca works at a university. And so even people who've gone to university and she has a lot of grad students and even non-traditional grad students who are older, you know, 30s, 40s, maybe that come back to uh, graduate school mm -hmm. and coming to graduate school and learning to be an artist is one thing. But knowing how to run a business is something totally different. Yeah. And so they pursue these educations. So they get told by people, hey, even if they don't go into education, they, people get told, hey, you should sell this or you should start an art business and this and that. Um, but people don't have a first clue about running a business. And so, yeah, they can make great art, but it takes so much more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, I, I love so much about what you're doing and, and your different websites, your coaching website and your your art website. Um, and so I guess I want to ask you something just about your art journey kind of to, to begin with, um, sure. you know, on your, on your artist website, um, our first introduction to you, really, it says, um, and I'm going to quote this, hopefully it hasn't changed in the last couple of weeks, but, uh, it yeah. says inspired by my years living in France, where heirlooms were cherished artisan made was a standard of high quality and beauty and family dinners in the garden would last hours with the best food from local farms. My life, art, and business reflect my passion for living slow and leaving a legacy. And so I just, that just resonated so much with me when I read it and what Rebecca and I kind of desire for our lives. And so could you give us a glimpse into kind of how this attitude or philosophy really came to be even as an artist, but I know it's a holistic approach, right? Yeah. I mean, it's um, a lot of those things kind of bleed into everything, how you live your life. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it started. So I grew up in more of a rural Minnesota, um, but was also a town. It had farms, but it also had um, a couple of universities. So it was it was grounded on the earth, but at the same time, education was also very important. Um, and it was a very Germanic Norwegian community, very much so. Okay. So it was a mix of culture, of music, of art, um, and then also of living off the land. 
there was a, it was important that you supported the local farms as well. So I think um, the the idea of slow living, now that it has a name, didn't have a name right. back then, right? So right. Yeah. the idea of slow living has always been ingrained in me. You know, I had my grandfather was a woodworker. My grandmother um, made dried floral wreaths that she sold at the local art gallery. I worked in the art gallery when I was younger. Um, my father did stained glass, my great aunt quilted, like it was just part of what I grew up with. Um, but my first trip to France, um, was when I was 17. And then I went back as a rotary exchange student and lived in French speaking Belgium for a year. Um, and then, which led to many, many trips and living abroad. But that first time I went to, I think it was, it was either Versailles or Fontainebleau, but like a big chateau. Um, and you walk in and you, you take note of like all of the details of things that were gilded and things that were like, uh, woodworking that was so intricate and the stonework. And it was the first Mm -hmm. time I was introduced to things that were like centuries old. Right. And it, it blew my mind that things, people could do those kinds of things so long ago, um, cause coming in, you know, growing up in the United States, things just aren't that old and you just <laughs> don't think of that, you know? And no, no, it, it brought me a whole different level of appreciation of art and the idea that these crafts people, craftsmen more than likely at the time, but yeah. could create something that is still standing a thousand years later, like really made me question my my legacy like I talk about like what am I leaving yeah. behind um and really pushed me more into the slow living and away from the fast consumerism um mm-hmm. and it developed into my art too as much more of an intention on what am I creating and how can it last way beyond me yeah and be something yeah. that's handed down you know there's nothing better than something that you get um that gets handed down to you that's from your great great grandmother you know like there's so much history in those things and how can i be that creator that creates something that gets passed down generation to generation yeah for sure well and that page on your website you know it goes on to talk about more about slow living but we're also um introduced uh to this idea of heirlooms right which is is kind of what you're referring to and um, and so that's really kind of how you approach your art. And so as you, um, as you've talked about that, I, I, that basically is how you develop that. And of course that didn't happen right away. No, that's a process. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. what you currently have on your website, as far as the way you talk about heirlooms, um, how long has that kind of been, um, kind of been your focus and it's been clear in the sense of it, you've had clarity about like, Hey, I'm, I'm creating heirlooms to pass on. That's a long Uh, process, as we said. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it came, the really the peripheral viewing of it became when my my own grandparents passed away, you know, and we Mm -hmm. were cleaning out their houses. And what was an heirloom for my grandparents? Um, But from my art, I think it, it came about, it came really clear maybe about three, three years ago. Um, when I was working through this same process that you and Rebecca went through, you know, um, when figuring out who I really am and what is really important to me and 
what I want to leave behind because we're all getting older. It's inevitable, you know? Yeah. Um, and do I want to be, you know, the starving artist that couldn't make ends meet, but made really pretty paintings? Or do I want to be somebody who really makes an impact that can, that my kids can be proud of and say, yeah, my mom did all these super cool things and look what she left behind. That's what I, that's what I choose. I want to be the one that leaves things behind, um, and really make an impact as best I can. And you know, make my mark (laughs) as my my book says. Um, (laughs) yeah. So it really incorporated into my art specifically just over the past couple of years. Well, you know, and that's one of the things that Rebecca and I've talked about because, um, so, and I know you've had this discussion with Rebecca and probably many, many, many artists is this idea of productivity versus pricing. Mm. Right. Um, and so for us, well, and me specifically, the idea of heirlooms is very intriguing. It's causing me to rethink my ceramic art, honestly, um, and Rebecca to rethink her art. Um, because for many years, we've had the philosophy, both of us, but probably m- me more so than her, that I'm going to produce uh, a ton of coffee mugs, let's say, because coffee mugs is kind of a specialty. Mm-hmm. And so um, I like making functional pottery, you know, art mm-hmm. that people can use on a daily basis. Yeah. And so... I specifically like coffee mugs because I believe there's not much better than starting your day with a good cup of coffee and a handmade (laughs) coffee mug, you know? Agreed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so while I do want to keep that focus, um, I believe there are also ways to enhance, um, uh, enhance that experience that people have and elevate the functional art experience versus just selling someone a coffee mug because they can go get that at the local store and sometimes get as much enjoyment out of it if they find the right one. Right. But what I'm struggling with is charging enough to make the amount of income we need. And like you said, starving artist versus um, somebody who makes an impact and has a lasting impression. And so, you know, we want to live a comfortable life, save for retirement, health insurance, all that stuff. But we also um, want to make a difference in the world and leave a legacy. And so I know we don't want to do that by working 50 or 60 hours a week either. Mm -hmm. I don't want to produce coffee cups for 60 hours a week in order to do that. And so, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not afraid of hard work, but as we're thinking about our future and what we want that to look like, um, your statement about slow living and intentional living and, and heirlooms, it's really influencing some of the things we're thinking through. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I say all that to, to ask this question. Sure. <laughs> um, how do you balance the desire of wanting, and, and I know you probably can't answer this in one, one question, right? But how do you balance the desire of wanting to put art into the hands of more people with the desire to live a financially secure life without investing 50, 60, 70 hours a week? Well, there's, there's two things to look at there. The first one is getting hands and your art into the hands of more people, lots of people. Um, and yeah. I think artists take on almost this responsibility of it has to be your art into the hands of a lot of people, but it <laughs> doesn't. We're a community, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's more a matter of finding your people that will appreciate your work and will, you know, follow you through what you do. So there's that. So it's a bit of a mindset shift. Yeah. Um, the other is if you're, if you're to the point where you're working 50, 60 hours a week, then you need to scale. So the question becomes, how do you do that? Do you hire somebody to help make maybe a line of mugs that's less complicated? Do you maybe turn it into where you're teaching apprentice? You know, is it an apprenticeship program? Is it, um, 
maybe you, well, obviously you can raise your prices and more specialize your mugs somehow, but maybe it's the mugs are just part of the picture and you're making something else. Like maybe there's wall, you know, there's a way for your wife and you to co-op to collaborate on some kind of wall hangings could be super interesting that are, that are a higher price point and become more of like your specialty. And then the mugs are like a product line that people can, that's more tangible. So there's lots of ways to scale, but the trick is knowing how you want to run your business, right? The trick is Mm -hmm. that slow living piece. Like how, how, what's important to you? Is it important that you're only working 20 hours a week? Is it important that you um, have your hands in everything that's being created? Is it important um, that maybe you spend the, the end of the winter, the holiday month, not working instead of like deep in holiday market sales? It's yeah. You have to kind of weigh what what you want your life to look like, and then trying to figure out how to make that work within right. product within your product line. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and I think that's one of the that's one of the biggest discussions we've taken out of your coaching so far, and it continues to be. It's like how do how do we balance this, and how do we? Uh, I mean, first off, knowing what's enough, right? I mean, we yeah. don't need to make you know we don't need to make ten thousand dollars a month to live a comfortable life. Um, not that we would mind and we would love to do that, but at the same point, um, knowing how much is enough. And then, like you said, the balance. And so that is an ongoing discussion that we find ourselves in sometimes almost daily (laughs) of what we truly want this to, to look like, um, going forward, um, both from a lifestyle perspective, but also from a legacy perspective, because that is a part of it. And that's part of what you walk people through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in our case, you know, a legacy for, um, how we impact the world, um, compassion international and international justice mission, poverty and, um, slave, you know, slavery and injustice. And so, and where that balance is. And for me, especially, uh, Rebecca is a good balance because, I'm a little more of the the driven, saying yes to everything, thinking big and over committing, and she is a little more of the reserved. Well, let's think this through. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think your your coaching and your framework has given us a lot to process through. And so I'll say one thing, and then she says the other thing, and so it kind of balances out like those scales. Um, but yeah, so we are we're still working through that, of course. Yeah. As you as you know. <laughs> well, and it's so it's so important to have that person that you can talk to too. I think that's where you and Rebecca really complement yeah. each other that you do you are a team when you, as you're working through these things. You know, some some people yeah. don't have that. They're, they're just very solo and trying to figure it out on their own and it it yeah. can be tricky and a little lonely. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um well, and I think you know, thinking through it outside as a business, right? Outside of the, the role of just artists, like I'm an artist, I need to sell my work and make a living. Right. Um, but becoming a business owner and you refer to this on your other website, um, your, I guess your coaching website, right? Artisan and company. Yeah. Um, and there's a quote on there. It says building a business means you're taking the role of artisan CEO. No one else will be able to have the same impact on your artisan business than you. So let's get to work. Um, and that, that there's so much in that statement that we don't even realize until we really start processing through all of the questions uh, you ask. And of course I, we can't go into those uh, because it's a 10 week program, <laughs> Yeah. but uh, c- 
maybe you can tell us um, a little more about your coaching philosophy. Yeah. So, well, first of all, so I, I have a lot of business background and business experience and, you know, I've done a lot of that. But additionally, I also have a master life coaching certification because yeah. um, because an artist, well, any business owner needs both. You can't have one without the other, um, especially right. an artist who makes things by hand, right? Your life and your business are intertwined. They're, you can make boundaries, but at the same time, you're, it's both. Um, yeah. It's both end. So a lot of it, I think, is teaching artisans to look at their businesses differently. Because we are taught, like you said, an art, a biz, artist business is you make stuff and sell it. You make stuff yeah. and sell it, right? But in the bigger global business world, there's way more to it than making something and selling it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it can be challenging to have artists really kind of step back and look at things from different angles, which is what I really try to do through my program to see that there's so much more. There's more that they need to to think about, but there's also so much growth and mindset change and shifts that people have to make to be able to see their business as an actual business, like a CEO would versus just how do I make things and sell it and make things and sell it, which is for me, I talk about like a hobbyist mindset. It's very much a hobbyist mindset. Like I make these things and now how do I sell it? But we need yeah. to think bigger. We need to think like a CEO, um, which can be really scary because I think a lot of artists are like, ooh, I don't know how to run a business. A CEO, that's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Um, I want to create things. I don't want to run a business. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it can be a little challenging, but I've seen it in my clients. You hit this this point where your brain, like your brain is literally making different connections. And I can see them starting to see opportunities, starting to talk about their business differently, starting to talk about even just their own lives and how it all works together differently. And that's when I know that the shift has happened. Um, And then things, it's so funny because it feels like, I think when people start the program, it feels like I'm like pushing them into a niche. Like you have to narrow down your focus, which it's kind of true, but kind of not, but I need people to focus. And then once they yeah. hit that point, um, all of a sudden there's more opportunities that they can see that they never saw before and way more than the, how do I make this and sell it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the, the shifts that I've seen in Rebecca. And of course it's still happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and myself as well is that, and you referred to it when we were talking about my pottery, how do we, how do we, make a living the lifestyle that we want, um, without working 50 or 60 hours. So having those pieces, and I guess we had already thought through it without, without realizing it until you said it, I think, um, you know, how can we collaborate, do a few things that we can charge a little bit more for because it has some of her art on it. Um, and, but also even within her own artwork, um, Hey, it's great. Let's have this little piece of the market that is kind of an introductory stage that people can get into and start getting exposed to Rebecca, but then being okay with having those paintings that are going to be 15, 18, $2,000, $2,500 that are more, uh, to steal your word heirloom, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause we would have never thought about that. And, and I don't know that we, 
we still think about that a whole lot, but it's definitely something that will be passed down. Yeah. Um, and so there is that shift that is starting to take place um, and will probably continue to take place because I, I think you said it earlier, it is that mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And that is when we, we've been married uh, almost 24 years. That probably took me too long to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we've had this mindset because we were in a place for so long, Rebecca and I were in a place for so long that we wanted to buy art. We loved art. We wanted to buy it. We just couldn't afford it. Right. And so that what had kind of driven our philosophy of like, we want to make art. We want it to be affordable for the everyday, everyday Joe. And that, that is true. We still want to do that, but we also want this to be something, a legacy for more than that. And mm-hmm. with us giving a percentage already away to uh, injustice and poverty uh, initiatives. Um, how do we how do we figure out what that looks like and and make it a holistic approach that yes we can still provide opportunities for the beginning collector or the people where we were twenty years ago we had no money we were just starting out but we loved art and we wanted art to be a part of who we were and we wanted to see it in our house and use it for our coffee mug you know for our our coffee in the morning and so it is it's making us think, well, you said it, right. You, you, you want to make people think differently mm-hmm. and, and it is making us think in a totally different way than what we have ever, have ever thought uh, for the last 20, 22 years. Um, so uh, it's not going to take just three months and then we're all said and done, right. It'll be uh, a definitely a lot longer process than that. So. Yeah, it's ongoing. And I, yeah. I do, I do hear that quite a bit that people want to have their art accessible to everybody, but Again, the mindset shift is art is accessible to everybody. You know, it doesn't have to be you that's selling things for $10. Um, One of the favorite things that we like to do as a family is we have quite a, we're fortunate enough to have quite a few art markets and maker markets and things like that around Minnesota. Um, But quite often when, if you go to a market, there is a section that is um, uh, maybe it's a youth group that was learning pottery and now they're selling all their pottery or it was um, beginning students at the M- at MCAT over here, which is the Minnesota college of art and design. They'll do like an art sale at the end of the year with their new art. Right. So it's, you can go and you can buy a mug that was made by somebody just in the beginning stages for $6, you know? <laughs> um, and it's still a huge joy to be able to drink out of those coffee mugs, assuming that the coffee stays in the mug, <laughs> right, right, right? You know, yeah. sometimes you're just you donating money and hoping your that, mug works. That is um, true. <laughs> yeah, but there's ways to find you know get people to support them, and there's ways for people to find art at the price points that they can afford. So it, yeah. as a business owner, it doesn't need to be you that's making the cheaper price point things. Art is accessible to people. Yeah. So, yeah. but you also need to make a living and that's, I'm working on a, a keynote right now. And that's really the basis of the whole thing is uh, as a collective of artists, we need to figure out what our pricing is and price for what we should be pricing. Because if everybody's underpricing, it's devaluing everything and it's giving the general public a very skewed idea of how much things should be worth. You know, yeah. so if you pulled up an Etsy page and there were 10 mugs, 
and some of them were $40 and some of them were 10, the general public is going to go, well, I'm going to buy the $10 mug because that person that's charging 40 is obviously overcharging. Right. When really, as artists, we look at it, we're like, oh, these people are charging $10 and this is ridiculous. It should be a $40 mug, you know? Yeah, right. So we, we as, a, as a collective, have to shift our mindset and bring in the actual businessness into the art. So people take artists as a serious business and pay them yeah. what they're worth versus just trying to find whatever's cheapest. Right. You know, and, I, and you said something a while ago, and I, I guess it kind of goes back to so many artists. And, and I, I don't know if that's necessarily, if this is necessarily true now as it was 10 or 15 years ago. We would consider ourselves artists, possibly, but we're hobby artists, right? We do yeah. it on our side. And and I run across people all the time in some pottery groups that I'm, that I'm a part of that they're like, hey, I have a full-time job. I love my job. I'm never going to quit my job. I never want to do this full-time, but I love making pottery and I love selling it as a little side hustle. Sure. And, um, and that's all they're ever going to do, but they're okay selling it for $10, $20, whatever, just to put it in the hands of people, just to share their art with people. Yeah. They're not doing it for a living. Yeah. Um, but like you said, there is that devaluing that's taking place even in that uh, because they're... I was going to say because they're not valuing their pieces, and and I I see that, but I also I also know the joy that comes from somebody using their mug and telling me a week later or three weeks later, oh man, I, I still love your mug, I still use it every day. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a joy in that, and so for me, that is a value that. I mean, I've given mugs away, you know, to people sure. I knew that would that would love it, even though they had the money to pay for it necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um. So. It, yeah. it just goes back to balance, right? And knowing totally. um, the business, because you're either going to make it a business or you're going to make a bunch of stuff for gifts and try to just recoup your expenses. Yeah. Um, kind yeah. Of. And that's, and that's fine if that's what people want to do. But so many people who want to do it as a business, who do want to do it as a living, they don't know how or where to take that next step, I guess, to, to make it a business and that mindset mind shift. Yeah. And there's not, I mean, how many of us went to art school and were told to get another major because you're going to have to do something else to make money? Or how many of us never went to art school because we were told, well, you'll never make money, so you might as well do something else, you know? Yeah, right. Um, but the world has changed. We don't have to depend on galleries anymore. I mean, we can't, obviously, it's an option, but it's not the yeah. only option anymore. And right. get, getting an agent isn't the only option anymore. There's so many new options. Um, and one of the really cool things I think that is shifting right now, especially, you know, since COVID, is there's a new appreciation for things People are spending more intentionally. So there's a new appreciation mm. for things that are handmade. Yeah. There's the just the mindset, I think, is different. And it is shifting to, to the slow living where people are more intentional about what they buy. It's not like I want to buy a lot of stuff and have the best. It's like I would, I I would rather spend $50 instead of 10 on something that's going to stick around for a long time. So it's, yeah. what I'm seeing is this super cool shift between the economy and the artists. Like we yeah. have this opportunity now that we never had before where our right. work is more appreciated than before. People are more willing to pay us what it costs to make it or what our, our prices are. Yeah. Um, and the artisans are 
have different ways to reach the consumer that they never had before. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I, and I do think that's uh, for us, it was very um, great timing to discover you when we did, because we had been making or thinking about making those transitions, right. From mm-hmm. hobby artist or, um, you know, just doing a few things on the side to becoming, Hey, we want to do this more intentionally and more realistically. And Rebecca had been after me for a year to, uh, create a, an official business, like an LLC, sure. probably two years. And so there was a little bit of mind shift comes once we did that, there was a little bit of mind shift that said, Hey, do this. And that still was well into your coaching program, I think is when we, when we did that. Um, so that added to the mindset shift a little bit, but so if, if someone is thinking about coaching, um, I, I guess I, I would really love for you to just give us an idea of what that process might look like, because I think in coaching, I can figure all this stuff out on my own. Um, and, and I'll preface that with, yes, it's out there and they could do hundreds and thousands of hours of research, like your degrees and your master life certification. You have a lot of resources and energy that you've poured into becoming who you are mm-hmm. to help artists and to steal your word, artisan CEOs, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, become who they're meant to be. And so can you just give us a uh, kind of an idea of what that process might look like if somebody wanted to explore coaching with you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the biggest, um, the biggest understanding of what a coach is, I think is the, the key. <laughs> um, yeah. And the value that a coach brings, because often I'll hear, well, I, I have another friend who's an artist and we're going to be accountability partners and we're going to get together every Monday. And I'm like, great, but is that person at the same level as you are? Because they're, it's going to be lovely to have somebody to work with, but you're not going to be able to see any bigger pictures. Um, for me personally, m- my biggest kind of aha moment around coaching was when I, I hired my first coach because it was very much of a, I could figure this out all on my own, but I was already figuring out a lot on my own (laughs) and I was running two businesses and working part-time still with my three kids and my husband. And I was like, I just don't, I just need somebody to tell me what to do because I'm having so much. Yeah, I'm having a hard time putting all of these pieces together. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I hired my own coach, it was this, I don't know, like a weight is lifted a little bit. Like, okay, I have somebody now who is going to help me steer my ship. It's not all on me anymore. Um, And it was the best thing I ever did. And I am a strong believer that a coach should always invest in a coach, always. Um, (laughs) So I still have my own coach that... Um, I love and has worked me through so many different things um, as, as my own business has shifted, but I've, I've been on the side of trying to figure it out on my, all on my own. And what happens for me is overwhelm. um, And it turns into, for me, it turns into inaction because I get so overwhelmed and I feel like I just can't figure anything out. So I just don't do it. And that's when you start to have those moments of like, well, maybe I should just give up. Maybe I'm not good enough. All of those wonderful things that your brain tells you (laughs) (laughs) to keep you safe as it should. (laughs) Um, But to be able to 
to understand that people, coaches want to help. They're not like out to get your money or whatever people may believe. Like they want to share what they have. I want to coach as many people as I can because if I do that, that's more people out in the world that are making a living from their businesses and making an impact in the world. So it's not, yeah. it's, I, I can't do that myself. I can't impact the world in the ways that I can with all of the people I've coached impacting mm-hmm. the world. You know, it's this great yeah. ripple effect. Um, and I, I am also a person that has never shied away from investing in education. That's always yeah. been really important to me. Um, but yeah, to have somebody to help you walk through things that talks to people that are going through the same things all the time. And Mm -hmm. there's just a different point of view, um, that is so valuable in a coach that really keeps it. Obviously there's accountability too, but it goes way beyond that. Sure. Well, and you know, you spoke of aha moments several times, um, and Rebecca and I, even as we continue to work through and, and have those conversations, there were, of course, aha moments when she was actually in the the coaching process, the active coaching process with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and but even the the moments that are still coming is like, oh, and I can't remember the exact situation, but even just I think it was last week we were having a conversation. She's like, I think that's what Laura was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, so you get more pieces of the puzzle, right? And so you've, sometimes you've got to create those pieces of the puzzle because you're not sure of, of answers to some of the questions. And so you're searching within yourself and, and, uh, the future that you want to create and trying to figure that out. And so when you create those pieces, then some of the other pieces start to make sense. Um, but if she hadn't gone through your coaching program, uh, you know, frustration, you talked about overwhelm, but frustration, and it's like, oh, hey, man, I can't do this. I'm going to postpone it for a couple months. I'll pick this back up in January. or, And then next November, you're like, man, I still haven't done anything with this. Um, and it, so it forced us. We really did not think we were in a season where we could effectively utilize a coach. I'll be honest with you. And you, you may remember Rebecca saying it. Well, and I even told Rebecca, I was like, listen, school is starting in, I think it was two or three weeks. I was like, you were in a new position. I just don't know if this is the right time for you to invest in this. Um, I think it's an important investment, but I'm not sure what it's the right time. And, and so she thought about it, prayed about it. And she's like, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to move forward. And so she did it. And to my surprise, um, it, it turned out to be a great timing because I think one of your, your points and whether you said it like this or not was there's never going to be a good time to invest in yourself, to invest in the coaching process, to invest in somebody that can help you take the next steps that you need to take to make progress in your business, not just as an artist. Um, because yeah. one of those things that that happen when we come alongside somebody like you, right, as a coach, is it frees up some of those frustrations and some of that anxiousness and those things of having to go out and discover my next step all by myself. Yeah. Um, it it has freed Rebecca up so much to actually pour some energy into creativity and seeing some of her next things that she wants to do, um, which is something that we don't even talk about or think about um, as kind of a reward for, for getting some of those things off your mind and knowing, Hey, I'm walking along somebody, my coach right here, that is helping me take those next steps that frees up so much mental energy um, from the exhaustion and frustration that you can experience otherwise. And so that's been, 
that alone has been worth the investment. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) So yeah, but, but there was so much more than that, of course. Yeah. So it's true. Life, my, my coach always says life never stops lifing. And it's my favorite term (laughs) because it doesn't like there is never, there's never a perfect time. And you think about all those things that have happened in your life. Never did you say, well, you know, when I have more time to do that and focus on it, then I will do it. It's no, like you do it now and you give it its full attention as best you can. And there's this shift around you always that happens Mm -hmm. when you focus differently. Um, But things are always going to happen. Your water heater is always going to break. Your car is always going to break. There's, you know, your basement's going to flood, whatever. Things are always going to happen. They're never going to be like, oh, I'm not going to do that this month because she's really busy in her art business, <laughs> you know, like, right. there's never a, a good time, you just step into it. And if it's a priority, like it was for for Rebecca, um, yeah. then you give it its attention as best as best you can, because yeah, life is it, still going to happen around you. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's a mind shift, even in, a, in and of itself is like, I'm going to make this a priority. I know it's going to be yeah. a crazy season, but I'm going to make this a priority because I see the value in it. And I know where it's going to lead me in three months and six months and a year down the road Yeah, um, and how it's going to help lay those bricks yeah, uh, for, for the future. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. so what started all of this and I referred to it earlier, what started this whole process for Rebecca is your book, the maker's mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've talked about that several times, but can you give us just a little bit more idea of, a, um, about your book, maybe share a little bit about it and, um, how people can get it actually. Yeah. So, okay. Um, <laughs> my book came <laughs> out last April now. Um, it, it is a blueprint, which we talk about in my coaching program. It's a legacy blueprint. And I know, um, people, people are looking for strategies. So it's a, a several strategies that are business strategies, but they're redefined and re um, explained maybe for an artist in an artist business. Um, the blueprint is more than a business plan. It's also a marketing strategy. It's also a sales strategy. It's also talking about how you make your business impact driven, how you make it eco-conscious. Um, but the blueprint is what you need from the roots of your tree, which I have taught, I talk about quite a bit, Mm -hmm. um, to build your business from the roots. So many people, as you said earlier, start with the make it and sell it, which is really kind of like your trunk of the tree area. So people start there and then they move to the leaves where, oh, now I need a logo. Now I need a uh, color scheme. Now I need fonts for my website. And then what happens is, you know, something comes along and shakes your tree. (laughs) There's trouble or whatever, stresses. And if you've never built your root system, that business isn't going to, that tree is not going to stand. It's just going to fall over. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to have to start again. So I intentionally brought everything I could down to the root system. Like you need to start here. So my clients are either people that are just getting started or people that have been in their business a while and realizing that what they were doing at the trunk system was not working and they need Mm -hmm. to go back down. Um, So the book has the blueprint in it on the steps that you need to take to build that root system. Um, and then the coaching program is just that taken to a deeper level. Yeah. 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 Well, and so how can people get your book? Actually, I was thinking about this and I would actually love to give it away if people want a copy of the book. 
So okay. if people want a copy of the book, just email me. It's uh, Lara, L-A-R-A, at laracornell.com. And we can link it or whatever. Um, okay, yeah. I, I have, <laughs> as we talked about before, I have so much joy, as an artist does, um, in giving things away. And I, I, the more people that can implement these things, again, the more successful they're going to be, the more impact is things are going to change around the world in all different ways. And um, it's a joy. It's a joy for me to give the book away. So I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we'll definitely link that in the show notes and in our social media when we, uh, when we promote that. And so, um, you know, I I have to say, so the book made us think about things that we had not thought about. Yep. Um, But it also made us realize that that our view, because there are things we hadn't thought about, that our view was so single-sided based on our experience, our livelihood, our upbringing, all of that. Yeah. Um, and so that also helped us realize how we need somebody else to help us, help us process this material. Yeah. And so even though I didn't think it was the right time for Rebecca to start the coaching <laughs> program, we knew it was going to happen. Um, and I'm so glad it happened when it did, um, because there's just so much value. I mean, in your experience and your certifications in your education and um, we would not have, we would not have gotten the benefit of that from just the book and we wouldn't be a quarter of the way to where we are uh, if we hadn't engaged in your coaching process as well. And so I I, I sound like I'm trying to sell your coaching program and I kind of am in a way because I know how, (laughs) how, I know how valuable it's going to be, but that's not the point of this, this interview by any, by any means. Um, but I do, uh, I've, I've done personal coaching myself, you know, a uh, course of about eight sessions, uh, a couple of years ago. And so I, I know the value of personal coaching, but to take that, uh, your experience as both an artist and a business person, um, and a life coach and to be able to combine all of those things, that is a unique skill set that not very many people have. Honestly, no. they have a yeah. life coach or they might be an artist who's had some good good things happen and made good progress, but taking all of that and bringing it into one, um, one package and, and one person to be able to walk with you through those things. Uh, it just made, has made a world of difference for us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So. Well, it's been such a joy and I do, I, I do tell people sometimes I'm this weird hybrid unicorn <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, I understand creatives from a level of like, yeah, I did start painting professionally not that long ago, but I've been around artisan and artists my entire life. So it's a, I understand that. I also understand business and I understand life coaching with enough certifications over there. I even have a yoga teaching certification and all like, it's the book, you know, is that, and the coaching program is more than anything is accumulation of all of those things. Um, and I do, I do believe that you know, I, I think everybody should have a coach, especially if you're running a business or a personal life coach. But I, mm-hmm. I also believe that everybody should have the right coach for them. Yeah. So the people I coach specifically, as you know, now are artisans that are trying to figure out the business piece. Um, and they're also the bleeding hearts that are trying to figure out the the living piece and the give back piece. Like there's so much more to my clients. Um, and they're, for me, it's, they're my favorite people to work with, you know, they're creative, they're inquisitive, they are learning and they have these big hearts and it's, 
it, like I said, it's such a joy and such a pleasure to work with everybody. I, yeah. I, I love my clients, <laughs> which I hope every coach says that, but I love my clients. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, something in what you were just saying made me realize, so I'm, I'm also a writer and that's something that I'm pursuing intentionally. And I'm part of a writer's group. Um, actually, I, I, I have a paid membership for co- for kind of coaching and instruction and education, but I'm also part of a, a kind of a cohort. We meet every week. Um, and so um, when people think artisans, right, or artists, we I'm guilty of it as well. We think um, visual artists. Yeah. Almost. Um, so Rebecca's a painter. I do ceramics. Um, but that really applies to so much more than just a visual artist. Um, and and so any kind of creative business Mm -hmm. really is what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, because ultimately even writers, they want to leave a legacy. That's why they write, especially the people that, that are in my kind of sphere of, of influence and the people that I, um, in, in the cohort with, it's about making a difference, but at some point they also hope to do this as a career. They hope to make a living off of it. Yep. And so you can't just keep writing blog articles for free um, and make a living off that at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so uh, I, I guess I, I guess the question that I'm that I'm forming, <laughs> even as I speak, is: Can you speak to those other creatives outside of the ones we normally think of, um, and and offer any encouragement or any thoughts about why it also applies to them? Because we've really talked about artisans and it makes people think a certain way Mm -hmm. Um, as a culture, even not just you and I during this conversation. Yep. Um, So any thoughts on that? Yeah. um, So my coaching is primarily with artisans because artisans also have more of a product based business. Like there's things Mm -hmm. that you can apply to a ceramicist or a metalsmith or a woodworker that have products that they need to sell. Um, So it makes it easier to speak to everybody on a very similar level. But I do have a client that I've had for a while who's a composer. I've had clients that are um, dance uh, choreographers. So I think the biggest takeaway is that in business, even though creatives think that they're not business minded, they really, I hear it all the time. I'm too right brained. I can't figure out the business. I'll never be good at it. But really business, like the biggest asset in business is a creative thinker. Like the creative thinkers are the ones that get paid the big bucks in big tech companies and things like that. Right. And as a creative, that's something that already comes supernaturally to us. It just does. And we don't, I don't think we value it as much as, as society in general does, you know, like you already have, 90% of what you need to have a business. You just got to figure out the business piece next. Right. And it, it is, sometimes it feels like you're, you know, I talked about this a while ago that in my studies, I had to study, like keep studying the art piece, but I also had to study the business piece to figure out where they connect. Um, which I think is the trickiest thing for a creative because they, they reinvest constantly in their creativity to up-level and elevate their skills and things like that. But they kind of let the business side kind of go to the wayside and they're missing out on that piece that could really make a difference for them. So, you know, for any creative, 
my biggest takeaway, as I said, is that creativity is your biggest asset in business. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of learning how to use it in business. So yeah, you don't have to learn like 90% of a new thing to figure out your business. You just (laughs) need that 10%. Yeah, yeah, and, and and take what you currently have and learn to apply it a little differently and think a little differently than what we're used to thinking. Lots mm-hmm. of times, yeah, so. yep. Well, I I want to thank you so much just for joining us here on Coffee Time Conversations and and really helping us understand a little more about creating a truly unique um, and lasting artisan business. And uh, you know, it's it's not just about making art um, or creating; it's also uh, and, and then trying to sell it. It's also about creating a vision of what we want to do and how we want to do it and and the impact and legacy that we want to leave. Um, and so um, if people want to connect with you, um, what's the, what's the best way to do that? Um, um, well, the easiest way is they can just email me. I'm happy yeah. to talk to people. So we'll link that. Okay. Um, yeah. Otherwise I'm on Instagram at Laura Cornell art. Um, and then my website is lauracornell.com. Those are the easiest ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, and we'll be sure and put all those in the show notes as well. And so, um, well, I have a couple more questions that we'd like to ask all of our guests before we end the show. Let's um, do it. And uh, what's your favorite uh, coffee or coffee shop? Maybe it's a tea, whatever. Uh, I was, I was thinking about this and <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the kind of independently owned coffee shops, obviously. Um, We have quite a few of them, and that is usually my go-to. But we also have a chain in Minnesota called Caribou Coffee, which I also love. Oh, yeah. So typically one of the two is where I'll show up. Okay, very cool. I didn't realize. I've seen Caribou Coffee, like beans, in the grocery store. I don't know if it's here in Texas, but it was definitely in Washington. Yeah. Um, But I didn't realize that was an actual uh, coffee shop as well. Yeah, they're based out of Minnesota. They're delicious. Um, okay. They also use a lot less um, chemicals and things in their coffees. So okay. I, appreci- I appreciate that angle of it as well. But yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, great. Well, and then what's something or someone that is inspiring you right now? Uh, right now. Um, actually, so... I actually just posted this on social media, but I've always been super inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright. It was um, somebody who inspired my father, who inspired me as well. Um, And my father really got me into architecture when I was younger. So I have a a great appreciation for architecture. It's one of, I I almost went to school for architecture, actually. Um, And they told me I'd need to do lots more math and physics. And I said, never mind, forget it. (laughs) Um, but my husband surprised me with for our anniversary and took me to Taliesin, which is his home in um, Wisconsin. And we spent a day on a four-hour tour there and walking around and took hundreds of photos. Um, and his work always inspires me. His philosophy, that arts and crafts philosophy, you know, of the handmade is better and individualized and intentional and using the, the materials that are around you. Um, part of it was the, the tour. Part of it was just reaffirming that, okay, I'm on the right path. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, yeah. And part of it was like, Oh, this is just so cool to be surrounded by this physical mm-hmm. thing with those same values. And it, it was just amazing. So my answer is um, Frank Lloyd Wright is currently, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it changes every couple of days, but <laughs> that has really stuck with me. And I think about it a lot and look back at those pictures and I really enjoyed that. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because every time I, I think about Frank Lloyd Wright or, or, um, read a story or whatever the case may be, I just love the design, um, his designs. Right. And so I think about how can I pull this into my pottery or how can I, can I make a mug that is inspired by some of his architecture? Um, totally. Yeah. And so until you just said that actually, so I grew up, um, making mud villages for Hot Wheels. So, right. So this is when I was a kid. So, sure. you know, we'd go out and play in the mud and make vig- villages and gar- uh, car garages or houses and roads and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking back, and I don't even know if I knew Frank Lloyd right at the time, um, but I can see a lot of uh, correlations between that, especially now because I'm exploring a, a sculpture series in ceramics that uh, kind of duplicates some of the stuff I used to do as a kid, but a lot more uh. intentional. And a lot of the things I've been thinking in my head and, and sketching out are, um, I, I mean, you could see the influence of Frank Lloyd Wright, and I've never thought about that until just now. Interesting. So, well, now wow, I can't wait yeah. to see it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, uh, it's one of those play. you know, it frees up. A, I, I talked about it freeing up a lot of creative energy. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm inspired more than ever by Frank Lloyd Wright. Now that you said that. There you go. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, Laura, again, thank you so much for joining us uh, on Coffee Time. Really appreciate your time and uh, all of the the great stuff you talked about. We'll be sure and and put all the links in our show notes and point people uh, to you um, because we definitely, um, man, uh, we are so much further along and in a much better position now than we've ever been and uh, are excited for the future. Um, An excitement that we haven't had uh, in a long time as well. I'm so glad to hear that. It's been a joy working with Rebecca and you through Rebecca. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But to be able to talk with you has been really lovely. I'm so glad. So grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was a great conversation. It really was. Yeah. I was uh, excited to get a chance to finally talk to her. Of course, I'd met her, you know, when you were on a, a meeting with her, a Zoom meeting with her. Um, but just finding out more about her and her story and of course, um, just her process, man, she just has a ton of experience, um, and expertise and training and education. Well, she's just what we were looking for as far as like, we want to start our own business, but an art business is considerably different than like a corporation. It is. Um, and then we really want to include, our reason behind why we do the art yeah. is Compassion International and and various organizations to help um, eliminate poverty and injustice. And yeah. so tying all that together was really messing with my head. Yeah. Well, and Laura was really, because of her background, both in art as an artist, but also as a personal coach and in the corporate world, she really brings all of that stuff together into one coaching program that helps you think through all of those things from an artist or a creative perspective. But also from a CEO perspective. Exactly. Um, And so she ties it together really, really well. Um, And so I'm, I'm really happy I did the program. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. And so because this was a longer episode, we're actually going to talk more about that next week and more about the program and what we've been through. But if you have any questions you would like to ask us about our end of the program, um, we'd love for you to shoot us an email at info at coffeetimeconversations.com or 
message us on one of our social media channels, Facebook or Instagram. We'd love to answer those uh, for you in next week's episode. Yeah. So I guess that'll do it for this week. Until next time. Bye. Bye.